Welcome to another satsang from the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. I'm sure today there are more people listening online than locally. <clears throat> but we are all in a unified field regardless of where we are physically located in terms of the bodily vehicle <clears throat> so long as our vibrational frequency is united with our innermost being. And so that's really the purpose of a satsang, a sang, a sangha, a gathering of those who are attuned to sat, to our supreme beingness. And that supreme beingness is a state of non-duality, non-otherness, non-locality, non-temporality. And so it is a gathering in which we are to shift our attention from the becoming of the body and the movements of the mind to the unmoving presence that underlies, that witnesses, that ultimately creates, projects, and animates all that appears. But it's a double movement of extraction from the worldly level of activity and of objects to the subjectivity of the mind that is able to interpret and to understand and to comprehend the metaphysical nature of what the physical appearance signifies and is moving toward, but then to extract ourselves even from that level of understanding to the realization of that which is the source of all that is prior to and beyond language. because language is designed to navigate through the world of multiplicity and difference and duality of subject and object. We want to go to that level of understanding that is paradoxical from the position of language, but that is a unified field of the recognition that the one intelligence that creates the multiplicity is omnipresent and is always functioning with perfection through a seemingly imperfect world. But a world that the ego mind that's embedded in that world cannot see or understand.
And so the ego mind is asat. It is not related to our being, but only to the becoming, to the creature that has been created by the creative intelligence that is real but does not appear. And to leave behind the appearance that seems to be involved in life but is actually unreal and a temporary phenomenon through which the real functions to bring about the ultimate manifestation of its own reflection in the form of truth, of beauty, of goodness, of love, and of the perfection of all potentiality. The ego cannot see it in the same way that the ego cannot see that all of time is here now. It can only live in one slice of time. It is limited to a very localized and a very uh, limited sliver of past and future. It cannot understand that there is a dimension beyond in which all time is present. But our consciousness is able to enter that state of timeless realization if we are willing to disinvest in the world and the body's intentionality and realize the truth of our uncreated nature. And by returning to that uncreated reality that is untouched, unstained by the traumas that are inherent to the karmic clashes that bodies go through, particularly in the final stages of this creation, which distort and blind the capacity of the consciousness to understand clearly and to open its heart fully and to recognize the other for who they are in reality. It is the overcoming of that defective perception that the satsang is designed to inculcate so that one can navigate accurately through the world with an open heart, without creating any negative karma, with making amends, with being able to restore the world to a lost goodness and purity and nobility of the human spirit. And to function as the guiding forces that direct our destiny as a species, as a planet, as a divine ecosystem. And to extract ourselves from the egocentric limitation 
that the mind is addicted to in which it focuses only on its individual comfort and gain and sense of satisfaction or security. This satsang is being held at the most auspicious time in the flow of history. We are at the dawn of the restoration of the world to its most beautiful form. And so it is a time of great celebration. It's a time of great liberation. But as every mother knows, in those moments before the birth, there are indeed labor pains. There are indeed difficulties that must be overcome. And for that, a great deal of wisdom and love, of patience, of clarity, of forgiveness, of mutuality, of willingness to change, to transform, to overcome resistances, to realize the nature of the self which requires an awakening from those aspects of consciousness that remain asleep in their inertial states of identification with memories. It is the ego that is trapped in a body of memories that largely prevents the liberation into that immemorial presence that enables the fullness of our empowerment to be once again accessed and able to be harnessed and employed in the manifestation of the transformation of our plane of artistic illusion that is the work of God's poetic functionality to bring about beauty. But we must be willing to penetrate and traverse through the apparent ugliness and difficulties and cruelties and criminalities and the disinformation that is contaminating the infosphere at the level of the ego to be able to recover the potency of truth and the extreme transformative capacities of love. So a satsang to be effective really needs to focus on our beingness. <clears throat> and that's why the use of language, the use of thought, is only an interim methodology to bring one to the silence of that awakening, that presence that is able to realize its non-existence as a formed being, but in its formlessness is able to reform and reimagine and redream 
this holographic dreamscape of the world that has collapsed into a state in which all of the freedoms that we not so long ago took for granted are all disappearing. But that lack of freedom for the ego actually is a great blessing because it then encourages the return to the freedom of the self. That does not require the bodily capacity for the ego to do whatever it wants. But instead, to be able to enter into a kind of monastic self-sacrifice of the ego in order to open up the consciousness to its forgotten source. And through that, to regain its energy that it has dissipated through the entropic process of externalized thought and externalized desire. And this is why it is so important to disinvest in the world and the ego's desires for getting something from the world. The ego has been in the process of exchanging energy for matter. And thus we have entered into a materialist world, interpreted as filled only with material objects. And we have even become material objects to ourselves. And in that, we have lost access to the spark of that creative intelligence and magical empowerment that can realize the world not as matter, but as light, as quantum wave functions that have collapsed, but that can be freed, decollapsed, returned into their ultimate potentiality to reform in a way that truly reflects the beauty of our being. But to do that, we must rediscover the beauty of our being. And we can only do that when we have disidentified from the vehicle of that being and have extracted and withdrawn our attention from the organism, the animal, and from the animal psychology that animates it back into the spirit, into the angelic, the divine, and the supreme levels of consciousness that inherently belong to us. We derive our being from that level. But we have forgotten our own source and focused on an objective correlate that is a, an entity in a dream and come to be hypnotized by the belief that we are that entity. And the knot of language that connects us to that bodily vehicle and its bodily attachments and the network of attachments that that is connected to 
have created a chain of enslavement to the lowest common denominator of consciousness. And until we have freed ourselves from that enchainment into the highest level of consciousness, we will not be able to have the free will and the freedom of action, the freedom of being, to reimagine and remanifest the world in the image of that supreme beauty. So this is the time that all the religions of Kali Yuga of this past age, since 500 BC, have all prophesied and postulated and aimed toward that moment in which there is once again the revelation of God, the revelation of the real that underlies this veil of illusion, to rip through the veil and its concealment and reveal itself once again as the truth of our nature. And so this moment of revelation is also the moment of our redemption because we have fallen into a state of suffering and of addiction to our suffering and to a state of helplessness to be free of that impulse to create further suffering. It's this feeling of being locked in and subject to the impulses of desire of the lower chakra levels, the levels of animal psychology that produce the pain, the devastation, the dismay, the horror of the ego's blindness to its own true nature. And so the revelation of what is our true nature and its attributes and powers then also give us that capacity for redemption, self-redemption from a hell realm of our own making and give us the ability for new creation. All the religions have prophesied and prayed for this coming of this final moment of time and the promise of a new age, a messianic age, an age of the restoration of the kingdom of heaven, the restoration of a Sat Yuga, and the translation of consciousness from the phenomenal to the noumenal, from samsara to nirvana. 
but they do not give us the ability to accomplish that crossing of the gap from ego consciousness to the real self. And it is that that is the, the problem, the challenge that those who are awakened to the need for liberation but cannot take the leap into that abyss of unknownness that requires the death of the ego to reach via the emptiness of the unknowing and the loss of all of the illusions of security and identity that are given by the ego to take the risk of moving through that dark night of the soul into a new dawn of fullness, of wholeness, of divinization, of theosis, of the recovery of our divine nature in full that is the promise. But to make it real requires an act of greatest heroism, of courage, of faith, of love, and of willingness to sacrifice for the benefit of all beings. This is the concept of the bodhisattva. It's the concept of, that all religions have of such beings of sainthood and sagehood who are willing to take that step into the unknown and to bring back information, energy, and a pathway that enables the completion of our human task to become once more divine. It's paradoxical to speak of all of these metaphysical realities at the end of a, a century of materialism and of hegemonic discourse of nihilism and of atheism and of very anti-spiritual, anti-religious social organization and intention. And in such a moment of chaos and collapse and defeat and dismay and loss of freedom, to declare that this is actually the moment in which victory is at last within the grasp of the human spirit. But the darkest hour is always just before the dawn. In order for that dawn to take place,
we must be willing to discover within our consciousness that place that is luminous, that is filled with love, that is without past or future, that is fully present in total openness. And to know the meaning of freedom, of consciousness, and of conscience that requires the complete purification of our heart, the complete opening to the generosity of spirit that is the nature of God consciousness. That nature is within us but must be activated. It is this one act of opening to our own infinite nature that requires the shutting down of the mind's negativity, of its self-hatred, of its projection of loss and lack and imperfection and weakness. It is the willingness to shut down that ongoing discourse of self-defeat and open up and activate the presence of divine love and light that makes the difference between defeat and victory. And the longer we abide in that luminous presence that is our heart, that is our true mind, that is our original and constant nature when we are attuned to the highest vibrational frequency of our being, the more that the tapes of the ego with all of its memories and all of its lower impulses are erased and the original freedom is restored to our being that can then activate a new way of living in the world and in which the noumenal, the nirvanic dimension of our being reintegrates in that final achievement of non-duality, of God and man, of divine and human, of love and the becomingness of this holographic field of flux. And so the unification of that which is highest in us with that which is the ordinary mind of the ego in which that mind is transfigured and able to take in the impressions from the divine, from the supreme level of our luminous being and eliminate the impressions of negativity and despair that come from the world, 
the more we create an energy field that is so coherent, so beautiful, so luminous, that it lights up not just our local space, but extends to infinity. And it is this exchange of identification with matter, with the body, for the, ex the realization of the energy, that infinite energy of the God self, that is the transformational process itself. Rather than exchanging energy for matter, whether it's money, things, experiences, whatever it is on the physical level that has to do with objects, but to withdraw that and invest in pure energy, this is what increases that energy field which then retains, it regains and retains the potency of creative power. This is why all of the icons of the ancient uh, sages of Christ, of Mary, are shown with halos. The Buddha is shown with the same halos, all of the great beings. Why? Because we are beings of energy, but the ego has squandered that energy and has lost it, and so its auric field is full of holes and darkness and negative energy. But by the purification and the augmentation of our energy field, then we create a complete shift in that field that is uh, of the multiplicity. There's a morphogenetic contagion of energy, a dissemination of a larger and ever enlarging network of nodes of that energy that are thirsty to receive the current of that energy, the Shakti. And so the more that we are filled with that golden light, the more that we have the one resource that the world is lacking. If you go on the internet, you see all of these financial advisors who say the dollar is collapsing, you should buy gold, but you should have bought it several years ago. Now it's already too late, it's gone too high. But the, it's not the gold that's going to do you any good, that's just another metaphoric reflection. It's the golden light of power. What is lacking to people, no matter how much money they might have, is inner peace. And the power to redream the world, to create good karma, the power to bring love back into the world and joy and wisdom. It's that supernatural resource that is the essence of the project of Sat Yoga. To enhance that resource and to share it so that it multiplies to as many beings as possible, so that everyone's halo is filled with golden, luminous, blissful light, and that we can relate again with love and with joy without negative projections and enemies and 
glitches and uh, paranoid fears of what's going to happen, to be free of all of that, knowing that the world is our projection, not some self-standing reality of which we are victims, but that we are creators of, to return to that state of being the co-creators of a new reality through returning to the source of that creative power is the way to increase the literal wealth of the world from its current state of bankruptcy that cannot be changed or repaired through moving to a gold standard or a crypto standard or any other standard except the standard of divine love and light. And if you become such a being who is able to offer peace of mind and joy and clarity and power in this time of powerlessness and despair and anxiety, you will be able to increase the resources and the interconnectivity of the capacity of human organization to bring about networks of consciousness that will join the planetary noosphere in order to change the world from its current state of suffering into a world of peace and harmony once again. We can do this very easily and quickly, or we can do this with terrible suffering. That is up to us. And the more of us that choose to do it through bliss and joy and self-transformation and ego-side so that our true nature can abide in our bodily beings again as avatars of God consciousness, the more it will be done in a way that will be recognizably beautiful. We can bring the rapture to all beings who are seeking that light. And all are invited to be part of the blissful transformation that is now underway. But there is an extreme polarization and the ego is dropping into ever deeper darkness just as the spirit's light is increasing and augmenting in exponentially empowering ways. But you have to choose whether you're in the side of the materialized ego or the spiritualized God consciousness. This is the one freedom that cannot be taken away from us, but it must be activated. It cannot remain as some theoretical possibility. And the longer we wait to take the leap to the side of God consciousness, the more difficult will it become to make that shift because of the weight of karma, of anxiety, of terror, of objective difficulties in the material realm that will get in the way of one's ability to meditate oneself into one's true nature again. So it is a moment of urgency 
and a moment of the need to have the courage to climb out of the ego's comfort zone to those higher states of conscious altitude on the mountain of God that one has never gone to before and in which one must travel alone in the absolute solitude of spirit. And to be willing to tolerate that aloneness until it becomes all oneness. It is this path that has been trod by all the great sages, avatars, incarnations of God. But now is the moment that we must take those same steps on that eternal journey to the source of our being. It is a journey on which we will be guided with great love by angelic support and that we will be able to overcome all of the obstacles that will seem to be too strong to overcome if we have the faith, if we have the willingness to surrender, if we have the willingness to open our hearts and to love without a quid pro quo of getting something in return. So I won't take any more time in talking about this. What is needed is to realize the truth through attaining the silence of the ego mind and the hearing of the word of God within in the form of that luminous power that can fill us with the splendor of God's presence that eliminates all doubt, all uncertainty, all denial, all fear and recreates us in the image of that power that has given us birth and to which we must all return. This is the moment just before the singularity. The more that we prepare for it, the more that we will be uplifted by it and the death of what must die will cause no suffering, but what is being born will bring great joy. Namaste.
Floor is open to anyone locally or anyone in cyberspace. Go ahead, Purusha. Okay, thank you very much, Shunya. Uh, first, I want to just welcome everyone who's joining us online as part of our virtual community. We have people tuning in from a lot of places, uh, from Belgium, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Holland, Greece, Ireland, the UK, the US, Canada, Costa Rica, Switzerland, Sweden, Norway, Portugal, Poland, East Africa, Slovakia, Argentina, Venezuela, Mexico, and Malaysia. So a lot of places around the world. Greetings to you all. Our first question comes from Liz. Liz asks, how does the death of the ego not also include the death of the body? <clears throat> the whole point is that the ego is under the illusion that it is the body. And people have been indoctrinated to think that the consciousness is produced by the brain. Nothing could be further than, than that. And, and even the evidence from near-death experiences is very clear. People can be brain-dead and yet be fully conscious of what's going on, not only in the space of the room or the hospital where they are, but they can also travel uh, to that dimension beyond this plane of, uh, of illusion and, uh, and experience the angelic presences of spirit guides, etc. So we know that consciousness and body are, are not the same. And, uh, and it is only really once uh, we have gone through ego death that we can be truly alive, that we truly have the free will to recreate ourselves in the image and likeness of God and act in that avataric way that we were designed to do, to be co-creators of this uh, beautiful dream in the mind of God. And so uh, it, it, there is no uh, difficulty. Sri Ramana clearly was an example of someone who went through ego death at a young age and his body survived for decades after that and did everything that uh, his, uh, his function in, in that form was meant to accomplish. So our, our destiny in terms of the body is, uh, is a, a completely different level uh, of reality than that of consciousness itself. And we can change the trajectory of that destiny if we do get to a higher level of consciousness in which our body can fulfill a mission that we are here to achieve that the ego is incapable of completing. So it, the fulfillment of life requires the death of the ego. The ego is like the larval stage of consciousness, as we've talked about many times. It's the caterpillar. The ego death by going into the cocoon of meditation and coming out as the butterfly angel of, of higher consciousness it is the, the fulfillment of human uh, potentiality but we have a world of caterpillars uh, and they've eaten up all the leaves and, and none of them have gone into uh, the, the next phase. We, we have a culture that has uh, taught us that all we are is caterpillars and there's no such thing as butterflies. But we need to unlearn that deceptive uh, uh, indoctrination 
and, uh, and, and show the world by flying out of the prison of the ego that true life begins after we have left the, the ego shell, like the eggshell from which the bird flies and, uh, and, and begins its uh, true life and nature. So uh, to, to create a world in which we are egoless, divine avatars of, of creative imagination and joy and empowerment, that's what this world is meant to be about. And that is what we are now to return to. Is there any question, comment? Okay, go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, some people from Algeria and South Africa also wanted to let us know that they're here. Great, welcome. Um, we have a question from Yosef. Yosef asks, does one need to participate physically in the presence of Shunyamurti to receive the teachings? Because he was talking about uh, the physical harm of awakening if it's not under guidance. Well, the guidance is from the inner guru, ultimately. Uh, the, the function of, uh, of the physical guide is more to help people overcome false ideas about what this uh, shift of consciousness is about and not to get caught either in a dead end or in a, um, a bardo state that is uh, likely to, to create more suffering. But once there is a clear understanding of what the, the true nature of the self is, this is something that can be and in fact must be done in solitude. So uh, no, there is no need to be in physical contact uh, however, the, the more that one is in an energy field of higher consciousness, whether it's with one being or with a community, uh, the, the more easily it is to, to ride that upward uh, wave and, uh, and uh, overcome the resistances that come from other people's lack of understanding and our attachment to other people who are still in the ego and the loyalty to those people and not wanting to leave them behind is actually a major factor in the ego's uh, ambivalence about whether it wants to choose liberation. And so one really has to uh, detach from those uh, connections in which one wants to be validated and affirmed by other people and enter into a process where you affirm yourself through the realization of your real self that you will find uh, once you have entered into the silence and the emptiness in which ego is gone that the fullness of that presence will take over and uh, there will be no question of the ego needing a guru because the guru will then uh, uh, reinstate uh, its uh, possession of the throne of consciousness through the ego's surrender to that. 
So what is necessary is complete surrender to the self within. That, that is the process of uh, liberation. Okay. okay, a question from Jacqueline. Uh, Jacqueline says, even during meditation, my ego intrudes with deep traumatic emotion. emotion. If a soul is, quote unquote, torn, how does one have it restored? Yeah, I think this is a question that pertains to many, many people. And it requires, again, a, a surrender of one's being to God and a recognition that all of the traumas that one suffered in one's life were meant to bring you back to God and to bring you back to a realization of that higher nature that is untouchable, unstainable by trauma, by otherness. Uh, and, and so in the midst of, of feeling those traumas, one has to offer them to God. One has to say, my whole life is in your hands. I want uh, this life to be totally in service to you. And whatever were the, the pains or the impulses that still might cause pain and, and, uh, and lower uh, conscious identifications uh, to be uh, surrendered to you. Whatever, uh, whatever traumas happened in the past only recur in our minds because we're still identified and there still is some emotional uh, connection in which we feel either guilty or we feel uh, some uh, sense of uh, loyalty to that or some sense of having been uh, punished uh, by uh, those events that create a sense of unworthiness or sinfulness or toxicity. All of these are delusional ideas. And uh, here is, in a way, the where having a, a guru or a spiritual guide or even a good therapist can be of help in this process to help undo the false beliefs that keep the traumas actively disturbing one's peace even long after they, uh, they, they are no longer a part of one's life. Uh, and so the realization that all of that is illusion and that one's true nature is unborn and uncreated and still in oneness with God can overcome those, uh, those traumatic energies if one is willing to leave behind that old identification and realize that all you are is pure awareness. You can focus your attention of awareness on traumas, on memories, on, uh, on stimuli that come from the past, or you can focus your attention on that space of total freedom and love and light. If you do that, the traumas will dissipate, will no longer disturb you, and in fact, will be reconfigured as wisdom and rocket fuel to get to the highest state of consciousness very quickly in order to compassionately serve others who are suffering from the same trauma to become free from it. 
So I would focus on, on claiming the identity as a bodhisattva, as a saint who is here to uplift others who are suffering from trauma. And knowing how terrible that suffering is, you will be able to re-metabolize it into a capacity for being a healer for others. Uh-huh. Lakshmi. For the teaching, um, I have a question regarding the aloneness. You said that uh, one must travel alone into the, in, in the absolute solitude of spirit and tolerate that aloneness until one becomes, uh, until it becomes all one. But can you speak a little more about tolerating mm. the aloneness? What does that mm. mean okay. and imply? Sure. The yogis speak about three gunas or three qualities of consciousness, sattva, rajas, and tamas, right? The rajas and the tamas are the two ways that the ego uses to run away from itself. The tamasic way is to fall asleep in meditation and to fall asleep in other ways, waste your life uh, surfing the internet or, or playing video games or doing something else that's completely uh, useless uh, to, to bring about uh, liberation from the ego. So you don't want to fall into a tamasic uh, running away, but you don't want to become a workaholic, rajasic, one who runs away from yourself in doing. As uh, some therapist famously said, we become human doings rather than human beings, right? So those are the, what we tend to do in the ego state because we can't tolerate aloneness. This is why, in fact, this lockdown that many people are under is causing so much uh, uh, mental illness to emerge. People cannot handle uh, solitude. They socialize in order to run away from themselves. So we must become like the original desert fathers of Christianity who went out in the desert alone and sat in a cave and meditated and found God and then could bring it back to those who were in the cities. Uh, we must become those beings who can sit through the traumas that come up, as was just spoken of. They will come up. That's why it's so hard to tolerate uh, your own mind. It's filled with traumas and it's filled with desires and fears that you are yourself disgusted by but somehow can't stop them from erupting. As long as those sanskaras are still there, the mind will be plagued by uh, not only negative thoughts but uh, emotions that can create guilt and shame and horror and, and uh, a hell realm. It's the mind that's the hell realm. We have to be willing to go through that hell realm, to dissolve it through our own surrender to God in which all of those negative uh, memories, thoughts, impulses have become redirected and, and sublimated and sublated into sublime feelings. And uh, the more that we surrender to God in our meditations, the more that that energy will flush out 
the negative hell realm ideations and emotions and fill us with peace and with joy and with love. But we have to be willing to go through that dark night uh, in which uh, the, the witching hour, the, the, the evil uh, uh, forms of, of consciousness are faced and, and, and those devils are slain by our own uh, willingness to surrender to God, to commune with, with God consciousness, and to be done with uh, that uh, flirtation with the dark side that every ego has, has gone through. And it's that that redirects our consciousness and reconnects us to the source of power that will then turn every meditation into a blissful fullness of divine love in which you'll never want to stop meditating. But for most people, they don't want to start or they'll fall asleep or they'll suddenly realize they have to do their laundry or something else rather than, than sit and meditate. So being alone with one's own mind is the greatest threat to the ego and the greatest challenge in those early stages of the spiritual journey until one has gone through the shadow and one has found the light of the self that is the, the true nature that underlies all of these uh, fluxes of, of negative uh, vibrational energies and images. Okay. Thank you. Kalyan. Um, I actually had a different comment or question, but uh, something coming up right now was uh, I just wanted to comment that I very much resonate with what you're saying about um, this lockdown uh, creating so much mental dis-ease in, in, um, in many people, and uh, it's something that I very much wit uh, observed just in speaking with, with others um, in these last weeks or months, and it's very apparent that that, that is very much coming up. Um, and, and what it just hit me when you were speaking was that I'm doing the exact same thing in, in meditation, which you were just saying, um, of, of just trying to, you know, I don't, <laughs> have that option, like I create a, a situation where I'm running away, you know, uh, in the mind and not having to face, to face that silence and, and, and the other things that I don't want to see. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was very clear that I'm projecting it on other people that I speak to, let's say on the internet or, you know, back in the States or wherever they are, mm -hmm. oh, they can't take a trip or they can't go socialize or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And now I can see all the stuff coming up but am I not doing that myself every mm -hmm. single day? So, um, okay. thank you for. <laughs> thank you for that insight, Kalyan. <laughs> That's very, uh, a very important insight, very courageous of you to, to speak about it. And I think that will mobilize your capacities to overcome that resistance. I sure hope so. I, I can't, I look forward to the, the, the day or days or eternity where there's nothing but wanting to meditate for hours, you know, cause I, I don't mm -hmm. resonate with that fully right now, mm -hmm. <laughs> I could say. Yeah. But I actually wanted to ask the question about um, uh, these extreme polarization that you had mentioned. Um, yeah, I think you had said uh, that because of the interconnectedness of us all, 
there's um, that we're chained to the lowest level of consciousness. I believe that's how you mm -hmm. said it. And immediately I thought, well, what about being chained to the higher? And you said we need to find that that connection to the higher. Maybe chained is not the right you know word, but I often feel you know here um, very much connected to. To, to being pulled to that higher, but I very much feel being chained to the lower too. It's extreme polarization. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine what it would be like if I wasn't here in this environment, uh, in the presence of a guide and a community that's always reminding me of this. Mm -hmm. But what is that also that being, let's say, chained or connected to the higher? Um, is it also there? Oh yeah, I wouldn't say chained in this case. I would say liberated into the higher. But it's a liberation that the ego doesn't want because uh, it, it's, uh, its identity and its fuel has always been gotten by the validation from those others who are chained in that lower state. Uh, and so one, it, it, there has to be a shift of the fuel that runs your life. In the same way that now we want to solarize all the buildings here, because the electricity is not reliable anymore. And we need a reliable source of energy that isn't going to cut out in the middle of a storm, right? So in, in that same way, we have to go from ego energy that comes from the jouissance, the, the materialized enjoyments uh, of the, the attachments to, uh, to other egos and to things and, and to... Uh, uh, physical touch and those kinds of, of material level uh, events to the, the real event of reconnection to our spiritual source. And that's where the power, the freedom, and, and the uh, intelligence and the love and the joy all reside. But it is a, it is a shift. And one has to get to that point where one realizes that it's a more reliable energy, it's a, a much higher level of intelligence and purity and joy, and that one's life will be free of all the glitches and, and all of the, the sense of uh, impotence and uh, of, uh, of negativity that one has at the ego level. You have to realize the price you're paying for staying in the ego and the availability of a higher form of life. But we do have to shift from living uh, at the material level with material fuel to living at that level of the solar fuel of the divine light that really is what uh, gives us the creative power to recreate a, a new world. Interesting too, you mentioned uh, how, how, how the lockdown is affecting people. That we're not being affected here. We can't tell in the ashram even what's happening. You know, most people don't come to an ashram because they think they'll lose their freedom. Well, now it's the reverse. We are free here and out there. There is no freedom anymore. So uh, uh, that hopefully that will incentivize more people to want to come to an ashram. But, uh, you, of course, you have to come to it because you want the higher freedom, you know, not the, the lower. But, uh, but it's true that, that uh, I have hardly felt any difference except that, you know, uh, I, I see on the internet everyone is suffering and uh, I, I see that even when you go to town now, you've got to follow all of those rules 
that are so ridiculous and, and obviously uh, not effective for what they claim to be for. And so that, that whole sense of this doesn't make sense, too. The insanity of the situation and the disinformation and all of that is causing people to lose trust in the authorities that they used to depend on, and yet they don't know what can they trust. And so they're, they're living in a state of massive anxiety because they don't know what to believe in anymore and what to hold on to and what to let go of. But it's only when we find God that we will be able to resolve all of those uh, ambivalences and, and uncertainties that are, are causing people to, to collapse and to, uh, to literally go crazy in, in a situation where the usual forms uh, of uh, enjoyment that would prop up an ego are not available any longer. And, and therefore we have to find a source of strength that is not out there, but that comes from deep within us. Thank you, Kalyan. Anandi. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to relate to my Lakshmi's question because I had the same, like how long um, or this to, to sustain the solitude. And you answered, um, you can't stay um, in solitude until you haven't um, went, went through your shadow. So my question would be how long have you don't go to your shadow and how often or when if you one know your shadow or you, it comes up to your mind and how often have you to go through it or how to get rid of it? Well, that's a good question. You only have to go through it once if you go through all of it. But the problem is, you know, people don't uh, go through all of it and, and they get scared of it rather than uh, completely uh, absorbing it in the light. So the shadow is only a small part of the consciousness. It's only the shadow of the ego. And the, the consciousness is much larger than the ego. It's infinite. So it's not that big a deal except to the ego. It's, it, it feels uh, impossible because those demons in the shadow feel too strong to, to face and to slay. But they're not. It's an illusion. It's your own mental creation. When you realize that it's your mind, you're not just a creature in your mind, but the ego is that, but you are the creator of your entire mind, and if your mind has become a nightmare, just wake up from it. That's how you defeat the shadow. You realize it's only a delusion. It's a set of fantasies that you have kept going in the mind and suppressed for the most part, but that come up when you sit in meditation and aren't in avoidance of them. But if you can face it all and realize that all it is is a delusional set of fantasies that have no reality, no power, except what you give them by believing in them, you can easily dissolve it and let it go, and then the, the light and, and the true nature will, will take over, and the fullness of consciousness will not leave any space for negative ideation to come in any longer. So it's not that big a, a deal or take that long. And once it happens, then all of life is a meditation. It's not just when your body happens to sit on a zafu that you're meditating. Uh, life is, is just consciousness. And therefore, if you're in that timeless God consciousness, whether your body is active 
or, or sitting or asleep or eating or dead makes no difference whatsoever to who you are. Okay? We have a question from Anders. Anders asks, is our planet Earth a conscious living being or will Earth evolve into a conscious living being, Gaia or the noosphere? Uh, Bruce Lipton said that Earth will evolve into a single organism. He calls it fractal evolution. And Peter Russell has proposed something similar, the global brain. Yeah, of course. It is a living being, and, and, and it doesn't have to evolve into that. It is all that, that already. What has uh, destroyed its, uh, its coherence and comprehension to the human level is, is the, uh, the, the precipitation out of the noosphere of the human ego. And so the human ego is unnatural in a certain sense. It is alienated from nature and from Gaia. It, it, is, uh, it is in its own narcissistic bubble and uh, not in accord with nature. And so uh, nature, Gaia, if you will, but even at a larger level, I, I would say, uh, because this is more than just planetary, God consciousness is now popping all of those ego bubbles so that uh, this uh, all comprehensive consciousness in which the ecosystemic uh, unification and benevolence is once again restored is about to happen. But it's not really an evolutionary state in the sense of some new emergent property is about to come into place but that the emergent property of the ego is about to be popped out of existence and there will be a return to that original nature. But the original nature is actually prior even to the appearance of the earth or of Gaia. That's also derivative. Ultimately, this entire hologram is made of divine light and the singularity is the return to the light. There's no such thing as matter. That's an illusion. And, and quantum field theory, which I think is probably the most accurate uh, scientific understanding of this, uh, is now coming to the understanding that all of the various fields, whether they are the electron fields or the, uh, the electromagnetic or all of these which are superimposed on each other, are all dependent on what I would call the God field that initially creates space and time in which then all of these other appearances uh, are able to coagulate and, and then to uh, express themselves within that um, format of space and time. But the, uh, the original ultimate consciousness of Brahman, if you will, is a prior to the appearance even of what the science used to call the Big Bang. Uh, or you know, some scientists still believe in it, but now it's again controversial. But if we take the Big Bang as a mythological metaphor rather than some scientific uh, uh, description of history, if we understand that, then we would say that what before the Big Bang, there was no time, there was no space, there was no universe but an infinitely dense, infinitesimal point of luminous uh, creative power that explodes into this entire holographic cinema of the cosmos. 
Well, that is the reality now. That tiny infinitesimal point of light is the very center point of your consciousness. And now there is, there, we have moved from the state of pravriti, which is the expansion of consciousness, and the emergence of egos into the field of human consciousness, to now an implosive nivriti. In the same way that you saw that nuclear bomb go off in Beirut the other day, from the, the shock wave, you had a spherical toroid, a smoke ring, you could say, that extended out. <clears throat> but once we have that toroidal universe, which we are in, fully extended into its ultimate uh, uh, exhaustion of its possibilities, then there is an implosion back to the point of light. And the same uh, shock wave that creates a, a cosmos also then implodes back into the singularity from which it came. We are now in that process of return to the singularity. And then indeed, uh, it will reemerge. This is not something that's going to be televised, okay? You're not going to witness this but it's going to happen outside of time and space because it is the beyond of time and space that will then reinstate uh, time and space without any memory of the kinds of situations that we are now describing. But it's inscribed in the memory of that creative power. So we can think of the infinitesimal as, as blowing up like a balloon and then it will uh, implode back. There's a, is a, a systole and a diastole to the universe. The, the, the myth in India is Brahma opens his eyes and closes his eyes. And each time he opens it, a universe appears and closes the eyes and it disappears. We go through that kind of a process and now science has pretty much uh, 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 corroborated uh, that, uh, that fact. Uh, and so as we approach the return to the singularity, which is the return to God consciousness, this is uh, part of the revelation and the redemption from a world in ruins and then its uh, return with all of the creative intelligence indeed that every planet has as a microcosmic fractal phase space manifestation of that creative intelligence. And it exists uh, not just on the planetary level, but at the atomic level and the quantum level and, uh, and, and beneath that and beyond uh, this universe. The, there's an infinite extension of, of fractal spaces and uh, levels of consciousness so that each of us is less than a speck of, of reality within the immensity of the, the creative manifestation of God. All we can do is uh, to revere, adore, be in awe, surrender, and dissolve back into. And that's really what yoga is about. Okay. Is there anyone here with a question, comment? Okay. This question comes from um, Kresimir, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, from Poland. Thank you, Shunya, for your teachings. Sat Yoga Institute is the most valuable channel I've found on YouTube. Thank you. My question is, some of the obstacles on the path to self-realization are obvious, such as addictions, wanting to possess, 
or not accepting what my life situation is. But some of them are heavily camouflaged by the ego. How can one come to know what is hidden to one's consciousness and necessary to transform or let go? I think if you meditate long enough, all of those camouflages come off. They're only camouflaged because you, you want them to be and you want to stay in denial of them. But uh, if you open yourself uh, to the, uh, the subconscious level uh, by, by meditating without interference of uh, an internal narrative of, of an ego discourse, those images will appear in the same way that they'll appear at night when your ego is asleep and they may come in the form of nightmares. So if you have any symptoms in your body, if you have nightmares or anxiety dreams, or uh, if you have difficult uh, relationships with other people, that's how those are appearing now, okay? But the, the camouflage, if, if you want to see through it, you can see it. And it's either projected into the external world in the form of people who are difficult to deal with, or you are somebody who is difficult for others to deal with, or uh, it's coming up in the form of uh, suffering in the body or, or suffering in, uh, in, in nightmares or, or mental instability of some kind. But it's always there. And if you will sit through it with love and with surrender uh, and, and a, a realization that your true nature is, cannot be captured by or identified with any of those images or impulses, you will be able to extract yourself and return into your original form of, of pure, luminous love, and all of those will disappear. Okay, we've got a few minutes. Uh, last question or two. Go ahead. Okay, a question from Mary. Mary asks, why is there an ego in the first place, and why uh, do we, are we born into this world with the challenge of overcoming the ego? Well, first of all, the ego is a late arrival. It, it really only comes uh, into form in Kali Yuga, which is the last of the historical epochs that we, again, the ego has amnesia for its own history. It doesn't know anything before uh, the pyramids of ancient Egypt. It has no understanding of the real history of, of life on this planet, let alone in the cosmos. But the ego form was necessary to emerge in order to create not only the suffering that would then make us want to uh, to, to transcend this cycle of time and return to a higher state and shift our entropy uh, into uh, what now would be called negentropic uh, uh, return to uh, the fullness of our energy for potentials. But it was necessary for the ego uh, to come into place in order to gain the capacity to grasp all of this in symbolic terms, okay? In the same way that when there is a play or a, a great work of art, 
there is a revelation, there is a, uh, a significance, a meaning that only comes into being at the end of that play or, or, or when that work of art is, is completely grasped in all of its implications or you've gone to the last page of the novel that you've been reading and the, the final denouement is revealed. So the ego is necessary as the instrument in which the revelation could be fully inscribed symbolically so that our understanding of God would be fully able to be uh, grasped in a way that would retain its e eternal significance within the Akashic records uh, that will then be built upon at higher levels of space and consciousness to be used by those higher levels as a kind of fertilizer, as a kind of, of uh, soil of wisdom upon which new flowers of creation could grow. Marjivama. Last question, Marjivama. So, um, on the redemption, and uh, aspect of, uh, of this learning through symbolic understanding, it seems that I'm getting the, perhaps the answers I've been hearing this with, with the somatization that I still deal with in meditation. And the question really that came up this time was, uh, uh, what do I have to learn? You know, um, and uh, through your teaching and your continuous teaching with answering the questions, what's come to mind is, I have to learn what it's, what the process of re of the redemption of love is, and. Uh, it's the chakra to um, um, suppression mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that uh, I feel somatized yeah. in, in my chest, in yes. my heart. Yeah. Um, and that uh, lockdown, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. a lockdown, a yes. divine love. It was that divine love that got uh, materialized. Yes. In chakra two, and um, and it uh, in this particular case the uh, the response was to lock it down. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, I the more I enter solitude, mm. <laughs> um, the more it screams out yep. uh, for the uh, the attention of of releasing it. Yep. So it's really the blessing of of. Um, don't you get it? You know, you got to release this. It, it makes no sense. Yeah. Well, it does make sense in a certain level. Yeah, That's for the problem. The okay. You, I, I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's the most difficult question that, uh, that religious and spiritual people have on this journey. Uh, because, you know, you're, you're dealing with the sinfulness, the core sinfulness of the ego. Uh, according to all of, uh, of the religions. And 
and, and we have hired the superego as a warden to keep it in prison, right? At least if one is, is in that mode of life. And out there in Kali Yuga, they've said, no, let it out, let it all hang out, do whatever you want, which is, of course, an even worse option. But that's the point. Neither of those two options work. If you incarcerate the ego and don't let it act out, it's going to create symptoms. If you let it out, it's going to create bad karma that could destroy your life in far worse ways. But neither way is heaven on earth, right? So uh, the, the, we have to be able to transcend the superego, not just the ego and not just the shadow that wants to, to act out. And, and the only way we can do that is by linking chakra two to chakra four. And in fact, all of the lower three chakras to chakra four and, and live in the service of love that itself is in the service of wisdom that's in the service of God. And then that chain of being will cause the, uh, the desires that would otherwise play out in a, um, a profane way or a vulgar and, uh, and uh, let's say, uh, destructive, uh, 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 traumatizing, uh, harmful way, uh, will be able to express themselves as the, the creator, creative energy of beauty and of joy and of love that doesn't have to be suppressed but can be allowed to flower without fear that it will turn into an acting out of a, a, an untoward type, right? So that, that, has, that is part of, I think, the, the journey of faith and, uh, and to trust that your life energies are basically good and the only reason that they were diverted into, let's say, wanting to be an object of desire or wanting to conquer objects of desire or whatever else was because of the, the very uh, suppression uh, by a, uh, an unjust system in which some were traumatizing others and, uh, and people were being turned into objects and, and commodities, etc. So it's only when we have stopped reifying uh, consciousness into things, into objects, into uh, uh, forms of, of wealth or possession or property that, that people turn other people into and, and turn uh, uh, certain kinds of experiences uh, into some sign of victory or greatness or power or, or, or one of those other, uh, uh, let's say, uh, fantasies of, uh, of success or, or of, uh, of, of having made it in the world of egos. All, all of those things are part of an indoctrination into an ideological plane that is itself a total nightmare and a total delusion. And the superego is embedded in that plane of illusion. And it's, that is, we have to discern that the superego is not God. Okay? And that's why, you know, we've been reading Swami Ramdas, who says, as do many others, there's no good or evil. Don't get caught in that trap. Uh, and if you are, are truly recognizing your God consciousness, 
the body is not going to be used by anything that will be sinful or harmful and will be, uh, will be employed as a vehicle of, uh, of, of great joy and of, of great uh, creative, uh, uh, let's say, uh, inculcation of uh, connectivity that is a dance of, of life that has a purity to it that will not be disturbed by uh, egoic desire. So we have to take the risk. Here's where we're taking that flight into the unknown requires us to let our heart be free and discover what does it really yearn for and you will discover it's not chakra two it yearns for, it's chakra seven. And, uh, and it, your heart will fly to the highest state of love and freedom, not to a lower version of it that will only entrap it more. Okay. But I think this is one of the, the harder uh, lessons and, uh, and passages of the spiritual journey that because of the fear that has been inculcated in many people, especially in the Christian or Muslim traditions uh, about uh, the, uh, the, the acting out of sin at that level, uh, causes a, a great fear of opening the heart too much and of, uh, of allowing love to really shine and, and to reveal oneself as a divine being who will be irresistibly lovable uh, to, to all beings who, who will recognize you and who will feel infinite love for all. And we have to, and we will be able to make the distinction between love and desire and choose that purity of divine love. And, uh, and that is really what is going to transform the world when love is no longer locked in a prison and it's justified as a, because we don't want to sin. So that, that is one of the overcomings that I think that is most essential and requires a great deal of threading the needle of truth at, to the point where, where we are able to, to no longer be rule-bound beings but be guided by a wisdom that, uh, that is far more uh, paradoxical and sensitive than the ego mind in its black and white thinking that just will, will create a symptom of suffering in order to keep one from being able to, to act out. And, and it's that playfulness of all the potencies of consciousness uh, in a, uh, a dance of love with God that is our salvation. Okay, thank you. I hope that was helpful to everyone and, uh, and that people can, uh, can feel the accessibility of divine consciousness and the practicality of transcendence of the ego and the urgency of its attainment to fulfill what we are designed to accomplish here at the beginning of a new age and focus on this new creation that is already sprouting up even as the old civilization dies and to not be caught in its death throes but to be 
completely enraptured by the birth of our divine nature that is going to re-dream the world as a kingdom of heaven. And thank all of you for being part of that heavenly horde of angels who are regaining your wings and about to fly through the noosphere and serve Gaia and God consciousness as uh, beings of light who are going to transform the level of consciousness of all beings in our world to bring that joy back and to bring the nightmare of history to an end. Namaste. Namaste.